future is Mecca. In the previous episode. The only point being scored today, tap the jets for a speed boost. I saw Sky out of the front of the cockpit. I was in the middle of it all. It was the world's fastest backflip, followed by the world's hardest belly flop. Confirm open flight. Black shapes began to rise up from between the buildings. The black square is an inertial tracker. You think you're a sim hero, but you're a real life zero. Cooper was still watching and sneering from his office. Standing in line has to be the worst, most boring thing to do. I hate waiting to do stuff. But that afternoon, I was pretty excited to be waiting in line for the transit pad between Azalea and Coda. We're all going to Azalea's house for our first group trav. It was a short hop, two rings towards the city, and then clockwise, or west I guess, by a bit, to reach the pad nearest her house. I followed a yogi mech into the sky, and when Travnav offered the high-speed lane, I turned it down, just like I promised. Coda didn't. He group-called us on our mini-tabs just to cackle with laughter at us as he zipped by overhead. You promised, said Azalea. Blame the sight of Prax's lumpy backside. I couldn't face it. Maybe you can. He ended up landing only a few moments ahead of us. It was just a short hop, so he escaped a punch in the arm. The three of us, along with Azalea's little sister Vivi, spent a lazy hour or so on her deck, eating bowls of popcorn, throwing pieces to Mr. Snorks, talking about what we could do over the quarter break, and going through shares. The Weave Fest is on in the city, said Coda. I think my current sequence, dull as it might be, has a real chance of placing. I've convinced everyone to come to rehearsals over the break, so I'll be doing a lot of that. I have to look after Vivi, on a few of the days at least said Azalea, throwing a piece of popcorn so it's stuck in her sister's hair. Vivi didn't look up from her screen as she felt around for it, pulled it out of her hair and stuck it in her mouth. When do you get your first mecca, Viv? said Coda. Forty-four days, she said, still without looking up. And fifteen hours if it arrives before learning. You're quiet, Prax. What are you going to do? Got some big sims? said Azalea. I was quiet because I was responding to an invite. The Megastar League was planning a huge, multi-sim competition over the break. They had sent me a personal invite and a scratch start so I didn't have to compete in the qualifiers this weekend. Most amazing of all, they were offering me 5,000 points just to participate, plus bonus points for every round I went in and multipliers for wins. There were 10 rounds of matches, not counting finals. I would be swimming in points by the end of the break. I could upgrade my rig, maybe even afford a new mecha. The baby had jets. That made its open registration worth a lot. I could finally get an 8 meter hardvac ranger and show those mechross heads how it's really done. I'm booking some major sims. I'll be banking points like Mr. Snork is banking that popcorn, I said, and threw the cute pig another handful. I hope you both have time to come and watch my feeble efforts at Weavefest, said Coda. I wouldn't miss it, said Azalea. You kidding, I said? I can finally get myself there. I'm not going to miss it. I'd been back home a while, and I was sitting at the kitchen counter eating cheese slices while going through the match schedule, working out what I should compete in to maximize my points, when there was a knock at the front door. Figuring it was probably Hernan again, 
He's the only person who ever knocks on our door. I went and opened it. Guess who was standing there? Minky. Smiling her big, nervous smile. On the street, I could see her silver metro mech and Davor's dark strutter standing next to it. There was no sign of Davor. He was probably still in his cockpit, as happy to be here as I was to see him. Hey, Prax. Your dad's just behind us on his bike. He said you'd let us in. What could I do? And why didn't Dad warn me? Two visits in four days? And yesterday spent all night Veer calling her. Come in, I guess, I said. I didn't want her to come in. What was I going to talk to her about? Davor isn't ready to de-mech yet, she said. She held up her mini-tab. I've sent him messages, but he's just ignoring me. He'll come out when the food arrives. I was thinking about ordering us calzones tonight. What do you think? We could just order pizzas and fold them ourselves. Oh, you're funny, she said. No, I wasn't. Thankfully, that's when Dad wind into the street on his bike. He did that sliding turn into the driveway again. I think he was showing off. I'm pretty sure he was showing off. It made Davor pop open his canopy. There was a brief blare of loud music, hoarse shouting and crazy fast synth lines. He'd been sitting in there the whole time, behind his tinted plexi canopy, blasting his music and watching me. He ignored me until we were eating. I saw your Mecros tryout, he said. How did it go? said Dad. He flew off the field. Davor made a whistling noise and traced a steep arc through the air with his hand, which he banged into the table at the end of it. And wham! Into the ground, just outside the danger zone. Were you okay? said Minky. I hit the jets too hard. The baby's got a good seat in harness, so I was okay. The baby? You call it the baby? said Davor with a derisive laugh. It does look like a baby. Except for the color, said Minky. You didn't tell me you landed outside the danger zone. I was half out of the danger zone. Mecha safety is an obsession in my job. So, I have to wonder how a mecha made it that far. That wasn't even the funniest thing, said Davor. He was enjoying this. He took out his mini-tab and swiped at it a few times. Look at this, later on. He put the mini-tab in the middle of the table where we could all see it. There's a video of the baby at the edge of the free mech section. One moment it was hovering off the ground, the next it was flipping over and slamming into the turf. Davor laughed. I started to curse Coda under my breath, but realized it was from a different angle. Oh my, said Minky. That had to hurt, said Dad and winced at me. Here's another angle, said Davor, and the video he showed was the one Koto had sent me. It had been cropped to put me closer to the center, but it was definitely it. He promised he wouldn't. And because I'm sure you want to see it, here's the tryout. There's lots of shares of that. It made Dad's eyes go wide. In the share, you could see me faint to the side, start to move back, and then I'm traveling up in the air. Jet's already cut off by the field system but you wouldn't know it by the way I was moving. For such a heavy-looking mecha, its acceleration is... well... said Minky. But she didn't finish her sentence. She gave my father a look that I couldn't decode. Dad turned back to his calzone, 
cutting a piece off and wiping it around the tomato sauce spilling out of its innards. He glanced at Minky and at me. That big baby is faster than it looks, was all he said. Davor scowled and put his mini-tab away. It was my turn to smile. His attempt to make fun of me had backfired. After eating, Davor ignored me, which was perfect. He stayed in the living area on his mini-tab. Dad and Minky went out on the back deck. They were sitting out there and chatting. I was standing in the service area, looking out the window in the back door at them and feeling like I should be out there sitting between them or something. A message from Anu arrived. Home? Yes, I replied. Have you got it? No. Get it. Can't. Davor's here. Make an excuse. Get it. The drone's ready and waiting. Make an excuse. Make an excuse. I sighed and picked up one of the Robovacs and walked towards the front door like, I don't know. I was taking the plastic pig across to visit the Osorio's real pig? I wasn't being sneaky at all. I should have been sneaky. I let the door bang shut, and before I could open the storage bay, Davor came out behind me. What are you doing? Uh, I gotta vac my cockpit. I bet it needs disinfecting after yesterday. I bet yours needs disinfecting after Saturday. He stepped closer to me and brought up a fist. That was nothing. You're the one who cries at the thought of getting hit. He waved his fist in circles, watching me, waiting for me to cringe or beg him to leave me alone. I was so tired of it. What was the point? He got to punch me? Like it meant something? I saw the chunk of sink tree on the ground behind the baby. Just to change the subject, and to try and get him to leave me alone, I pointed it out to him. You want that, I said? I did throw away your old one. Wasn't that a nice gesture? And followed by a reminder that I overpowered him in that brawl. He walked over and kicked it, put his foot up on it, and tried to push it. It didn't budge. Really? You gonna give this to me? Yeah, to make up for losing your old one. Aren't you so CO nice? I'll take it, but it doesn't get you anything. I'm still gonna punch you. He went and climbed his mecca, unlocked the cockpit and stepped in. Why don't you have a dock like a real house? He called down, then shut the canopy and mecked over to the pad. He picked up the log with his dark strutter and waved it like he was getting ready to thump the baby with it. What's going on? I heard Davos Mecca, said Minky, coming out the front door, followed by my dad. She obviously had good ears for Meccas. Nothing's going on, I said. Davor reached over his shoulder and slid the length of sink tree into the scabbard on his back. He popped open his cockpit. Can we go now? He called down. Minky looked at my dad and shrugged. I got another message from Aino after they left. Got it yet? Can't. We'll get it in the morning. He sent an explosion and a clock, then. Message me when you do. I wandered into the living area where Dad was. Since I had my mini-tab out, I sat down on the couch next to him and sent a message to Coda. You promised you wouldn't share it! He knew exactly what I meant. Just business, old friend. Someone else shared your flop first. The cat was out of the bag, as they used to say back when they had cats, and kept them in bags. You haven't been tagged, 
so no harm there. No harm? He was kind of right, but he was kind of wrong. Or was I wrong for being upset? Was I angry at the other learner who shared first? Maybe. I didn't know who they were, but they never told me they wouldn't. Your mini-tab's going off tonight, said Dad. The heavy responsibilities of being a kid in today's crazy world. He began to laugh, then stopped suddenly. Oh, uh, what do you think of Minky? She's okay, I guess. But you don't like Davor. No way, and he doesn't like me. Are you enemies? Is he your, I don't know, nemesis? This isn't a Viri, Dad. I'm not a Glurk operative, and I don't have a nemesis. Well, maybe I had a bunch of nemesis. Nemesis? Risto, Burko, Tien, the whole Macross team. The Poppers, too. Cooper? How did I end up with all these people hating me? I had a nemesis when I was a learner. Really? Oh, yeah. Her name was Shetland, and she hated my guts. I was woken up Friday morning by my mini-tab buzzing. Who would ruin the first sleep-in of the weekend? Anu. That's who. Have you got it? His message said. I lay there staring at the ceiling, wondering if it would ever stop bothering me. Was this going to be the rest of my life? Doing everything he told me? At least until I left the learning place? Or was forced to leave? Dad was snoring loud enough for me to hear him through his closed door and my closed door. There probably wouldn't be a better time to do this. I snuck down the stairs and out the front door, being careful this time not to let it bang. The Oxylon was still wet with dew, and the city towers looked sharp in the clear air of the early morning. The tops of the towers were hidden in a pile of cloud that trailed out to the east. Drones and mechas glinted in the air, some disappearing into the cloud as others dropped out of it into the sunlight. Once I pressed the button, the wide door of the storage bay was going to rumble as it went up. Dad's room was above it. The noise might wake him, but by the time he came down, if he came down, I'd be done. I hit the button and ducked under the edge as soon as I could. The tracker was thin, but running my fingers back and forth under the frame, I couldn't feel any bump at all. I laid down on the floor of the bay and looked up at the frame from underneath. There was a clean, dust-free square of metal right below the foot peg where I'd placed the tracker. It was gone. I even rubbed the spot with my finger to make sure I wasn't imagining it and that the tracker hadn't just blended in with the frame. I felt around the area in case it had vibrated into a different position. It really was gone. After pouring myself a calming bowl of basic flakes, I returned Anu's message. No, I said. Then go get it, he replied. Tried. It wasn't there. He called me. What do you mean, it wasn't there? It wasn't, I said through a mouthful of flakes. I even got down on the floor of the storage bay. I could see the spot where it was. The frame was dusty. Maybe the electrobond didn't hold? No, not unless he scraped it against something. There weren't any scratch marks. Of course there weren't. He was commuting, not trail riding. Now, Praxit, your motivations are not the strongest. 
I had to laugh at that. I wasn't motivated at all. I just wanted him to leave me alone. At this point, honesty is of the utmost importance. Did you install the tracker? Yes, I said I did, didn't I? Honesty is important, because if you did install it, then someone found it and removed it. No kidding, I said. I guess they're smarter than you. Maybe. I will be in contact later. Do not bother messaging this ID. I'm shutting it down. With that, the call was over. Since I didn't have to qualify, I spent the day playing Chainball, the king of mecha sports. It's called a sport, but Chainball, played hard, is more like a battle. It had started off as a kind of mecha basketball, but over time it had grown into its own thing. The chain had been attached to make it easier for pilots to catch and throw the balls. Because of the chains, they had to make the balls heavier. Getting hit with the ball wasn't a foul, so players started swinging them around like weapons, kind of like an ancient flail. Players liked that, so they changed the ball from simulated rubber to a simulated hollow sphere of active alloy. How hollow depended on how much damage everyone wanted to do in the game. During a game, there are three balls on the field. To score a point, a team had to get two balls into the goal at the same time. Once you grabbed a chain ball, you had 60 seconds to get it to goal, and you had no jets, so there's a lot of passing and running. There were a few rules, like if you had the ball and touched the ground with any part of your mecha except its feet, you had to let go of the ball. And there were fouls. You couldn't tackle mechas that didn't have the ball, for example. You couldn't punch or kick anyone either. But if you had the ball, you could thrash everyone and anyone. Get a good swing going on it, get it spinning around your head like the rotor of a drone, and it's going to pop the finger or wrist of anyone who reaches for it. Virtual cockpit protectors are a necessity. Unlike tower battle, you're not out of the game if you get popped. If you lose joints, you switch to being a battering ram, stomping in at full speed, head down, trying to knock them off their mecha feet. If your cockpit gets popped right off, well, then you are out of the game. Your mecha is left littering the field. Players might throw your cockpit at each other. Your mecha's body might get used to barricade the goal mouth. But you're sitting out the rest, watching it from your sim rig. The long chain is handy for popping cockpits. Two players will often run, with one holding the chain near the ball, and the other holding the free end, hoping to trip or decapitate you. Great players can whip out the free end of the chain, wrap it around your mecha's neck, catch the end as it returns, and pull your cockpit right off. It's brutal fun. It's so brutal it's only ever simmed. I don't normally play it, but Feng messaged me when I logged into the main sim node. He was bored and looking for teammates for a game. What are you potting? he chatted. Hardvac Ranger every time, I said. Because I love them. You? Orbitech. Nice. I'll try and keep your hands full. Orbitex were made for deep space assembly. Space stations, docks, cruisers. They had powerful arms attached to huge shoulders for pulling together and holding together the beams, plates, and cables that make up things like a modular refueling dock sitting out in the asteroid belt. There's no gravity in space, but everything still has mass, and you need extreme mecha strength to lift, move, and hold construction modules. 
They're also a good choice if you like spinning chain balls and aren't concerned about making good speed as you travel down the field. Players were popping in, joining the team, so I guess he had sent out a bunch of messages. You in the Megastar comp over the break? He chatted at me. Yeah. Are they offering you bonus points? Yeah. Same here. We do well, Neef, like top 10. We're going to be commercial globies when it's over. Pay to play every day. Invitationals. Dedicated stream team. Endorsements. T-shirts. Miniatures. Action figures. Interviews. Groupies. I laughed. Who cares about groupies? I want pay to play. If my dad would even let me go commercial. It's every simmer's dream to be not just a tag, but a face. Getting paid to play. It would be life-changing. They get paid more than just about anybody. Just for simming. Some of them, like the simmer merciless mechanic, don't just have a 15-meter hardback ranger. They have a mecha dock filled with top-of-the-line mechas. He's got over 20. And five are rangers, in different sizes and colors. He also has three Novalites with custom cockpits. Coda says they're all too gaudy and overpainted to appeal to his minimalism style. I bet even he's jealous, despite the huge allowance he gets. My mother says I can take a year off learning if I go commercial. And if I earn enough, I don't have to go back until I want. You're so lucky. I kind of reckon my dad's going to go no way. He won't even let me stream. Depending on how you play, chainball teams have 12 to 60 people on a side. We're playing 15 aside, so the games are more like an actual sport than a running brawl. Our first match was a wipeout for me. We were ahead on points. The other side had two of the balls in their possession and were making for the goal. Like our team, they're using heavy Orbitex supported by Rangers and Sturdimex. I weaved through their support mechas, followed by Fang swinging the third chain ball like a maniac and flanked by our other team members. Using one chain ball to attack and steal another chain ball is standard strategy. Orbitex aren't built for speed. Neither are rangers, but compared to them I was sprinting. I got out in front and waved our two goalies back into position. Then I turned and faced the oncoming orbies. Their support were holding off my team, so it was just them against me, and they both wanted to chain ball me right off the field. It was tense. I only had a moment to act, but I had a plan. I could visualize exactly what I had to do. I whispered it to the Mecca, which did nothing because it wasn't the CO baby. Wham, wham! I was back in the lobby, out of the game, and aware of the seat of the sim rig and the veer set on my face. Wrong Mecca! How did I make that mistake? I had to sit there and watch the team win the match without me. Did you lag? chattered Fang after it was over. Something lagged, I chatted back. That something was my brain. The baby's effect on my simming was getting worse the more I piloted it. Brutal timing. Up for another? Bring it. The next game I did better. I kept it simple. Lost both my arms from the elbow down. The left one I lost tangling with the chain. But that was the other player's mistake. With most of the chain wrapped around my ranger's arm... I was able to pull it out of the Sturdimex's grasp, wrecking their hand, sending simulated mecha fingers flying through the air. With no hands myself, there's no way I could untangle it. I followed Fang to the goal as our supports blocked and bulldozed the opposition out of the way. 
when he bawled a goalie's cockpit off his shoulders, wrecking the final defence, and threw his ball in to score, I simply launched my entire mecca across the line. It still counted. Brutal finish, he chatted afterwards. You're the one who knocked that cockpit off, I chatted back. We should team up like this for series over the break. I'm only doing solo sims. So, we can have each other's backs. Until it's just us. I liked Feng, and I didn't distrust him, but I can't say I really trusted him enough to team up. I'm a lone simmer at heart. I'm used to working solo. Me too, but lots of simmers are talking team-ups already. Some are even getting paid to team up. Getting paid? By who? Don't know, but you saw it in your final. What do you mean? The other players. They're paid to work together until they took you out. Nah, that's crazy. Not crazy. Was chatting with Aurora Bora. Remember her? She told me they were paid. They didn't get the bonus, though, because you tore them apart. Battle Pig? Was that the player's name? I remember her telling the others to keep to a plan. It was all organized? I don't believe it. I'll bring her into the chat. Ah, uh, never mind. It's the middle of the night in New Stockholm. I've pinged her and told her to chat you. When I went to bed that night, Dad was on another veer call with Minky. Pfft, at least she and Dabor didn't come over. As I was doing my late night city watching, I kept coming back to what Fang told me. You always see chats about rumored deals and payoffs, but that's when a player loses unexpectedly. You can't pay people to win because that can't ever be guaranteed, unlike losing. If Feng was telling the truth, and Aurora Bora told him the truth, then someone paid her and two other players to work together to take me out. Was someone out there seriously trying to stop me from winning at Sims? And how they knew who I was going to play against? A thousand and twenty-four players participated. They couldn't have paid them all. Could they? I'd have to wait and talk to her to find out. That thought, that someone was paying to make me lose, kept me awake. Was that going to happen over the break? Maybe I should team up with Fang. Those thoughts made it take forever to fall asleep. And when I did, I had the weirdest dream. I was in the baby, and we were back in the sink tree forest outside of New Whitehorse. We were running and being chased by glittering black drones. Not chased, herded. They were zipping around us. I had a sense that if we could just run fast enough, they couldn't catch us. There was no way the baby or any mecha could outrun a jet-powered drone. But in the dream, we started running faster. And as we ran faster, the trees moved closer together, but were so strong we could push them out of the way without slowing down. I was working the proths and whispering directions to the baby, reaching out to grab trees and lever ourselves between them without slowing down. Then I reached out for a tree, and not only did I feel its shape through the feedback from the prosthetics as I gripped it with the mecha's hand, but I felt the texture of the bark under my fingers. I was surprised, but I kept running, only to grow aware that I could feel the ground against the soles of my feet. I could feel the shape of stones, the ridges of raised tree roots. I kept running and I could feel the wind against my face. We reached a wide creek 
and the water rose cold around my foot as we stepped into it. The drones were gone. The mech and I were alone, standing in the creek under the shadows of sink trees. I bent over, and in the reflection I could see the cockpit, but I couldn't see into it. I brought a hand up to the cockpit, and I could feel the canopy under my hand, and I could feel a hand against my cheek. The feeling spread. I could feel my skin, but it wasn't my skin. It was active alloy. I couldn't feel the profs in my hands anymore. My hands were the mecha hands outside the cockpit. I wasn't even in the cockpit. I was standing in a creek staring at my green active alloy hands. I wasn't breathing. I tried to breathe, but I couldn't. I didn't have a mouth, a nose, a throat. I didn't have lungs. I was suffocating. I panicked, took two steps down the creek, and woke up in bed gasping. As I sat there panting, catching my breath, I was sure I heard the sound of servos from outside. The nightmare faded, washed away by the familiar reality of my room, the curtains glowing with the city light, moving in and out with the nighttime breeze. As I moved to the window, I heard a thump and what sounded like a groan. I opened the curtains a crack. There were two dark figures on the oxylon in front of the baby. One was laying on the ground. The other was squatted over them, back to the window, doing something to their waist. Abruptly, the figure stood, looked up into the sky and raised their arm. They kept that arm straight up, and somehow both figures began to rise into the air. The one on the ground dangled from the waist. That upright arm must be holding a cable of some kind, thin and black and invisible in the night. There must be a drone on the other end of that, but I couldn't see it or hear it. The figures slowly turned as they rose, and I saw the face of the one standing, except it wasn't a face. It was a cluster of lenses. Want more Futures Mecca? And want it sooner? Visit patreon.com slash futuresmecca.